I'm Damian Bulwa, and this is Fifth and Mission. What you just heard was the sound of people celebrating on Tuesday night the successful recall of San Francisco District Attorney Chesa Boudin. Frustrated with rampant property crime and the city's drug crisis, voters removed Boudin from office after a bitter campaign that was closely watched around the country. In passing what was Proposition H, voters decided they felt less safe under Boudin's progressive policies. But those were the same policies that had placed Boudin at the vanguard of a national criminal justice reform movement inspired by Black Lives Matter. So, why was the recall successful? Who will replace Boudin in office? And by the way, there were other people on the ballot Tuesday, including Gavin Newsom. My guests are Joe Garofoli. He's the host of the It's All Political podcast on Fifth and Mission, and Megan Cassidy. She's the Chronicle's lead reporter on the recall campaign. Thanks a lot for joining me, guys. Joe, I want to start with you. Once again, we have an election long awaited and that at 8.45 p.m., what happened? It was a blowout. It was decided then. Uh, 60 percent of San Francisco voters said we've had enough of Chase Boudin two years into his term. If you, we have a map up on sfchronicle.com. If you look at it and you look at the neighborhoods, the only neighborhoods who voted uh, against recalling him, Mission District, a little bit of Noe Valley, uh, a little bit of Dog Patch, uh, the hate, the rest of the city uh, almost resoundingly said, get out. Now, Megan, what happens now? He obviously doesn't get removed immediately, Chase Boudin, because the, the election hasn't been certified. But what's next? Right. He will leave pretty soon, though. As soon as the election is certified, he uh, he will leave within 10 days, likely bringing a lot of his most uh, loyal staff with him. Uh, that includes a lot of uh, public defenders that that came over to his office. And so that that's unclear where all they're going to go. Unclear what Boudin is going to do. We don't know if he's going to try to run again. He won't. He has not commented on that. We did ask him tonight we if did he's going to run again. Yeah, he, he, has, he has not commented on that yet. But so after he leaves office, Mayor Breed will choose his replacement. Megan, there was also another proposition on the ballot, Prop C, that would have changed the rules of recall elections in San Francisco. That one failed. What does that mean for... Mayor Breed's choice here for district attorney. Right. So that was Prop C. That would have thrown a huge wrinkle in in what comes next. So now Breed will do what she was really expected to do, which is appoint the next district attorney. And that district attorney, because Prop C failed, will be able to run for the next uh, general election. And Joe, you always want, as, as a mayor, you want to appoint someone that can win the next election, right? You do, but you also want to make two appointments. <laughs> and so I, I'm, I'm putting my cards on uh, Catherine uh, Stephanie's supervisor, uh, arguably one of the more conservative members of the Board of Supervisors. And we use our we're using our air quotes here for conservative, uh, moderate uh, in San Francisco standards, probably progressive in the rest of uh, the country. Um, but she, if if she were to pick. Megan, right? If she were to pick Stephanie, then she gets to pick a uh, – she not only gets to choose her district attorney, she gets to choose another member of the Board of Supervisors who is friendly to her. Yeah. So that's a twofer. No politician can 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 turn down a twofer. But Megan, you've written about there being a lot of turnover at the district attorney's office. Chase Boudin said it was normal. He said it was part of the great resignation and also that he needed to clean house a little bit. I mean are are we expecting a district attorney to come in now – and have to turn over the office again? I think we are. 
Uh, I think that a lot of people came to Chis Boudin's office because of the changes that he promised based on his platform. And, um, you know, I think I think some of those people will go back to the public defender's office. Maybe maybe others will stay. Certainly his most loyal lieutenants are going to leave with him. But, yeah, I mean, if if Catherine, Stephanie or whoever comes in, I think that they're going to be bringing their force in with them. And I mean, Megan, you just had a a big exclusive story last week where the district attorney's office is is investigating an old police killing of, of Luis Gongora Pat. I mean, there's going to be some big, big decisions for the district attorney who comes in to replace Boudin. Right. Yeah. I mean, not not only that one, but there are still currently eight pending cases right now against officers in San Francisco, two in Alameda County, that the next district attorney is going to have to decide whether to change course, uh, see them through. They can also, uh, you know, bring down the charges, maybe let them plead to something uh, of a lesser extent. But I, I think that actually, you know, rumor has it that a lot of these officers that haven't had their trials yet were holding off for this very moment, thinking that the next district attorney, if Boudin is recalled, uh, would certainly give them a better shake than Boudin would. And Joe, a lot of decisions in that office, right? I mean, Chase Boudin, this has not been an office that's been conservative over the years, but still Chase Boudin on things like three strikes, charging juveniles as adults, et cetera, et cetera. This is an office that was pushing the envelope of progressive reform, and it's now going to be under the spotlight in a big way. Right. And some of the other people who uh, are possible contenders to uh, replace uh, Boudin uh, want to roll roll those things back. Uh, gang enhancements is another one. They, a couple of the uh, Joe Alioto Veronese, he correct. He wants to he wants gang enhancements. I think uh, if he were to be uh, elected or appointed to a district attorney, um, you know, uh, Megan, it goes back to like, you know, uh, if if someone comes in and they have to do all the make all these changes that Damien said. And, and San Franciscans think they want they, – they voted for change right away. Are they going to get change? They're, they're, part of Boudin's problem was, you know, he, he said, well, you know, it, it took me a while to get up to speed and, and how to run the office. I was coming from the public defender's office. I had never been a, a, a district attorney before. I mean, are we going to get change right away? I think certainly not. But one thing that, you know, may, may come of this as it as – it, intended, unintended consequence is that, as I said before, there is probably nobody in San Francisco that San Francisco police hate more than Chase Boudin right now. By default, anybody who fills that position is going to have a better relationship with police. Now, the Chronicle has written multiple stories about how police seem to be on this unofficial strike, you know, maybe to make the district attorney look bad. You know, if you're if you're going to be more generous about it, maybe it's because they truly just don't feel that the district attorney is going to make any charges. But I think that one thing that we will probably see in the future is a police department and a district attorney's office that uh, works better together. The, I I would ho- I hope so because there has been a long history of the police and and the DA not getting along together. 
Terrence Allen in on the way before as we were George walking in the studio. Yeah. George, uh, K- Kamala Harris. Yeah. Uh, but so. if you see, you know, Catherine Stephanie just today had a had a picture of herself with a bunch of police brass celebrating how a uh, how an officer helped a woman give birth. So th- this is this is not somebody who is running a shadow campaign right now. <laughs> that's, a, yeah, that's not a shadow campaign. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, that's a full blown one. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about what drove this recall. Why was it successful? And, you know, what can we learn for that, both locally and nationally? Back with more on Fifth and Mission. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth and Mission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. I started this campaign about 14 months ago, and I joined it because I knew that San Francisco was in trouble, we needed change, and that San Francisco would support a Democratic-led campaign to win a city for San Francisco. That was Mary Jung, the chair for the Yes on H campaign. That means they were in favor of the recall, speaking at Tuesday's campaign party Joe, why was this recall successful ultimately? And not just successful, but decisively successful. Chase Boudin became sort of the vessel for everybody's unhappiness with whatever was going wrong in San Francisco. Yes, a lot of it was the way he did his job and the way he sort of ex- explained how he did his job or didn't explain how he did his job. But, the, you know, people are frustrated with everything that's been going on with the pandemic. They're, they're frustrated with uh with the increases in some certain crimes in, in the city. They're also frustrated with, you know, the high cost of housing and 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 all sorts of things. He became a convenient, and I hate to quote him on this, but a, a scapegoat. Now, Megan, I mean, we have reported that crime is down in San Francisco, but there has been a homicide surge around the country. There's a lot of fear of crime. It seemed like Chase Boudin had trouble getting that message across, or at least to this group of voters that voted today. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, while there is a homicide, I guess, you know, rise in San Francisco, it's really dwarfed by a lot of other spikes across the country. And one thing that I think is kind of interesting about San Francisco's uh, recall election is that homicides kind of didn't matter. There was no really weren't anybody talking about that. What San Francisco voters are concerned about are uh, are burglaries, smash and grabs, uh, drug crimes. Homicides in San Francisco really are, it's kind of a non-issue unless somebody who just committed a homicide had been arrested earlier and was perceived to have gotten some sort of a sweet plea deal or released before they should have been. And a lot of what drove this recall was this case, the the McAllister case, we call it, right? The big New Year's Eve crash. What happened? Was Chase Boudin ever able to shake that off? No, he wasn't. That was really um, what kind of set in motion this just familiar trajectory of what would happen um, anytime somebody committed a major crime in San Francisco. There would be a rush to see if that person had been arrested in the previous year too, really just to see if anything had happened with that person in the criminal justice system since Chase Boudin had been in office. And Unsurprisingly, um, a lot of them had been arrested before. Most of the time had been for a much more minor crime. 
But it really just fueled this perception that anybody that is touched by the criminal justice system with Chase Boudin in charge is is going to be freed and allowed to go commit other crimes. That, of course, was a case of a couple of pedestrians who were struck and killed in a crosswalk in San Francisco. The defendant who still needs to go to trial. It turned out that he'd been arrested several times before this wreck and Chase Boudin's office had not charged him. But, Joe, I want to ask you, I mean, was this a case uh, that that was fought locally or was this more about this larger, broader national movement about reform? It was fought locally, but it's it's going to be interpreted nationally. Now, we've reported uh, that, you know, of course, there was a lot of uh, Republican money that went to getting this onto the ballot. There was Republican money that that fueled part of the recall. But as the, the people who voted Chase Boudin out of office were Democrats. You, the Republicans are only 7% of the registered voters in San Francisco. They, they can't even fill the ballpark, let alone recall anybody. So, uh, But it's going to be re- interpreted nationally inter- as, a, as the death of uh, criminal justice reform. It will not be the death of criminal justice reform. Criminal justice reform is not going anywhere in, in San Francisco, but it will evolve a little bit. I think it's, you know, and we had a conversation about this uh, earlier on our, on our Twitter spaces. It's not going to go away, because, but it's going to evolve into something where there will be more police on the street. Uh, the, the mayor wants that. She wants to hire a couple hundred more officers. What the challenge is going to be is can you have criminal justice reform and still have more police on the street? And I think that's something that, that San Francisco is going to, going to try and have to figure out how that works. Or does it work? Can you keep an eye on police? Can you have oversight on them? Uh, can you do all these diversion programs at the same time as you are have more folks in uniform on the street? And Megan, you know, one theme that kept coming up, and we heard it again today from voters, they said, we didn't like hearing from Chase Boudin that we were all right-wing conservatives you know, who didn't like his policies. We actually like some of his policies. Essentially, we don't, we just don't like him. And people felt like he wasn't speaking to them. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that there, there was definitely a disconnect between Boudin and, and his critics from, from the beginning, of course. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people thought of, of him as being just indifferent to what people had as a very visceral reaction to what they're seeing in the streets, what they're seeing uh, in in the viral videos. And for the longest time, Boudin would say, hey, but look, crime is down. And I think that for for a lot of people, they felt dismissed and trivialized. And it's just not the message that you want from the chief law enforcement officer. And he's acknowledged that. He he's acknowledged it now, yeah, yeah, and belatedly on the podcast yeah, with you, yeah. I think. <laughs> but I but and I also think that that might ha- that might also be tied to the recall's message of stop the Republican recall. I I think that that really irked a lot of people who consider themselves Democrats, even progressives, that say, hey, look, I I still support abortion rights, I still support uh, the environment, and. I just I don't support what I'm seeing here in the streets. Well, Megan, don't you, I mean, you've you spent a lot of time with Boudin. You, it, he is a guy who likes to debate everything. He, mm-hmm. He's you know, he's a, he's an arguer. He's a uh, he's a he's a Rhodes Scholar. He's a super bright guy. And so when people say, you know, come at him with their sort of uh, emotional concerns, he might respond to, 
I don't want to say an academic way, but don't you think it was sort of like, no, no, the stats are down. And he, on the podcast with, with Damien a couple of days ago, he was saying, you know, I had, I was looking too much at the stats and not enough at, uh, you know, the, sort of absorbing the, the, the real life uh, interactions that people were having with crime. Yeah. And what and I, I think to, to his credit though, for a while, the recall folks were trying to claim that the, that stats showed that crimes were up. They were cherry picking them. Uh, that's that's a message that the recall people really died down on because they don't even need it. It's it's arguably false for the most part. Yes, some crimes are up, some crimes are down, but they can really just harness a feeling rather than uh, statistics, and that's that's just a lot more potent. And it doesn't have to be up or down. I mean, San Francisco has a property crime problem regardless of what the yes. trend is over the last few years, and people just want it solved. Someone has to fix it. And the issue now is who's going to fix it? We don't even know who the next district attorney is going to be. And we don't know what their policies are going to be. And one thing that's going to be the same is that uh, when San Franciscans wake up tomorrow, they're still going to have the same police force. They're going to have many of the same prosecutors for now. (laughs) Uh, They're going to have the same mayor. They're going to have the same income inequality. They're going to have the same housing shortage. They're going to have the same uh, number of homeless on the streets. And that is not going to change for a while. And they, they can't expect, because one guy's gone, that everything's going to change overnight. I also think it's going to be interesting to see what this next DA does with Boudin's policies. Because while he is unpopular, it's going to be really unpopular to say, I'm going to start putting kids back in jail. I'm going to start charging gang enhancements again. I'm going to... Three uh, strikes. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to uh, dismiss the charges against these officers who killed people. I mean, I mean, I think that there is a new wave of backlash coming to whoever fills that spot. What do you think it, it, what will be popular or more popular is uh, arresting street level drug dealers? Because that's that's what it. Uh, well, OK, that, so that, obviously that's more of a low hanging fruit, correct? Well, yeah, um, there there is, though, a lot of things that uh, Boudin's hands are really tied on in that case. So um the state, for 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 instance, one of the things that his critics have mentioned is that Boudin's uh, prosecutions of low-level drug deal- dealers, he actually does prosecute 80% of them. But what happens usually is they are not held in jail. They're released right away back on the street. And their charges end, end up, uh, in a lot of cases, being uh, pled down to something that that is not a felony and for people who are here from another country, which makes up a lot of the drug dealers, it allows them to avoid deportation. That part is a state law. That is something that prosecutors have to consider before they suggest a sentence. But look, there are obviously a lot more creative things that a prosecutor can do with a drug case to show that they're taking them more seriously than people think that Boudin is. All right, Joe, I have to ask you, there was an election beyond the recall there on was? Tuesday, there right? Was, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I was give I was us a little give one. us a little wrap up. I mean, any any major takeaways? One of the races I was watching for was a, a little bit obscure, but it's uh, who finished second in the state attorney general's race. Uh, Democrat Rob Bonta finished first. Right now, it looks like uh, Nathan Hockman, who is a federal prosecutor from Los Angeles, is going to finish second. Uh, there's still you know, many votes to be counted. But the Bonta campaign tried something a little weird, tried a little sort of three-dimensional chess. 
they tried to elevate the profile of the most conservative Republican uh, in the race, and that is Eric Early, another uh, attorney from Los Angeles, uh, a big-time Trump supporter. He opposes abortion rights. Uh, Bonta's uh, su- supporters and independent campaign supporting Bonta uh, went on ra- conservative radio, bought these ads on conservative radio, sort of telling voters, you know, in, in straight-up terms, Eric Early is a big uh, Trump supporter. He's he opposes uh, uh, abortion, and so so that so that to drum up support for Early because they thought he'd be the easiest uh, candidate to defeat. It looks like that uh, uh, at this point. It looks like that uh, isn't going to work. But you know, there's still votes to count. Okay, so not the most exciting election of all time. No, that was, that was a long way to go <laughs> to just say no. I was uh, watching the Boudin race all night. <laughs> All right. Joe Garofoli, he's the host of the It's All Political on Fifth and Mission podcast. Megan Cassidy is a reporter at The Chronicle. It was the lead reporter on this booty and recall. Thank you both yeah, for Megan, coming on. Megan, what are you going to do now? I what don't know. What am I right about? about? Are you still employed? <laughs> yeah. What's, What's going on? Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode. Okay. To Chronicle reporter Mallory Mensch as well. She's the one that got those audio clips for us. And thank you for listening. <laughs> 